I'm Michael R. Malley, and this is Fresh Green Blessings, reading the Judeo-Christian Bible through a Buddhist lens with Mother Earth eyes. Welcome to Fresh Green Blessings. I'm Michael R. Malley. And I'm Ollie Ron Erickson Malley. And today uh, we will have a reading from uh, the first book of the Bible, from Genesis. And we're going to be talking about kind of the, the circle of stories and how s stories connect with one another. And we'll have uh, a story of Joseph. Um, Joseph and his brothers from Genesis chapter 37. Uh, I'll read uh, that biblical passage for us, and then I'll have a reading and a Dharma talk, and then I'll have uh, some closing words. And as always, we have the Tibetan singing bowl. You're invited to enjoy the sound of the bowl, the sound of the bell, and to be present to that. Here it is. Today's reading is from Genesis, chapter 37, verses 23 through 28, and verses 31 through 34. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And the brothers took Joseph's coat, and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. And he knew it, and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes, and put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. 
Previously, in Genesis 27, Jacob, with assistance from his mother Rebekah, tricked his father Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing that had been intended for his elder brother Esau. Esau was a hairy man, so Jacob tricked his blind, dying father into thinking that he was really Esau by wearing goatskin gloves. It is a generation later in Genesis chapter 37. Jacob is now the elder. The trickster son has become the tricked father. Jacob's sons, after thinking about killing their favorite brother Joseph, instead toss him into a pit and later sell him as a slave to the despised Ishmaelites. Returning home without Joseph, the brothers have doused Joseph's multicolored robe, made famous in modern times by Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. They've doused Joseph's multicolored robe in goat's blood. They return the besmeared coat to their father, saying they found this and presume their brother was killed. The father is tricked with a sacrificed goat by the deceit of one or more sons because of their harsh sibling conflict. For Jacob, we might think of the karma of his own deception returning, biting him back for his own goat-infested lies to his father. More generally, we will see that motifs come around again and again as we delve ever more deeply into biblical tales and teachings. There's a circling, swirling helix of themes and problems and words and symbols. There are even additional layers of the coil in this particular story. The Ishmaelites who buy Joseph as a slave are the descendants of Ishmael. This adds another layer of the circle of ancestral sibling tension because Ishmael was Abraham's excluded son, the elder half-brother of Isaac. The Bible stories swirl and whirl in circling convolutions of repetition and complexity. Ecotheology invites a nonlinear approach to the divine. The cosmos shows us that the sacred has created a world of revolving orbs and orbiting spheres. Spinning and circling round again and again seem inherent to the natural order. Our spiritual and religious growth mirrors the seasons. Spring comes around again. There are blossoms on the cherry tree. This year there's a fine crop. A late frost killed the blossoms last year. Things are the same. They are not the same. Such is the nature of ritual and tradition and seasons and the helix of biblical stories. To impose a linear theology on the Bible is to deny the helix. There are reasons that slaves in North America could recognize and be inspired by Moses and the Israelites' freedom from bondage centuries before. There are reasons why stories and psalms and teachings from past millennia can still sway us, offend us, hearten and embolden us. Ecotheology and eco-spirituality invite us to ride this helix of learning and unlearning, of inspiration and frustration and being inspired once more. The Bible invites us into the sacred helix of growth.
One of the joys of seminary for me was reading every book, every chapter of the Bible. To be not just invited, but <laughs> obliged to. And, and to look and see words and ideas and themes come around again and again and again and circle in swirl around in so many different ways even as ollie was sharing the reading today um you know i just find more and more layers and circles of meaning you know we we hear about the brothers um you know selling selling Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. And then we can go to the New Testament and we, and we have Judas who's selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas who should be like a brother to Jesus. And of course, things are going to work out okay for, uh, for Joseph. And of course, we're going to have the transformation and how things work out for Jesus as well. So, so you have this throughout, you know, Jesus also has parables of sibling rivalry with a tale like the story of the prodigal son. So we have these, these themes and these circles that come around again and again and again and again. And, and words and phrases that come around again and again. And to me, it speaks of what we do. It speaks of the spiritual labyrinth. You know, we say the path, but it's, 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 a, it's at least a winding path. And, and I like the idea of a helix, of, of this kind of swirling around, and, and not just on this kind of flat plane, but hopefully heading upwards, but ever circling and whirling. And, and I think of life. You know, I'm in my mid-50s now, and this, this last weekend, uh, I was at my granddaughter's soccer game. And there she is, this little kiddo, you know, five years old, running around on the soccer field, and I'm sitting next to her mom. And we used to go and watch her running around, this little girl on the soccer field. And then at the end, the parents get up and they, they, they put their hands together and, and they make a bridge for all the little boys and girls from both teams to kind of run under the bridge. And all the parents go, woo! And here I am getting to do this again in the role of grandfather instead of in the role of father. And there are just moments of this every day. Every day, you know, sometimes I'll go outside and I'll, I'll notice a, um, a particular bird's song, especially we're in the, uh, we're in late April right now. And, and I'll hear a particular bird's song and some memory will just flow through of, of hearing that same song as a child in my backyard, backyard growing up. 
And of course, these are not the same ears, but they are the same ears. And of course, it is definitely not the same bird, but it is the same bird song. And we live within this. You know, it's, it's one of the things I love about the Christian tradition is the liturgical year. That you come around and it's Easter again. You know. It's springtime again. We'll get ready and there will be the Advent season. There will be Christmas again. There will be Lent again. It goes around and we go around. My mom is 89 years old and she was, she was giving me directions on um, how to put the curtains up at her house. And she's, she's very particular, very zen-like in this work where she'll take 30, 45 minutes just to work with this curtain because it has to be just so. And, you know, we, we, we can be real superficial and sort of say, oh, she's OCD, she's really anal about that. Or we can look at it and say, no, she's embracing the art of it. But here is this 89-year-old woman, and, you know, she was doing this when she was 69. She was doing this when she was 39. She was doing this when she was 29. And I have this invitation where I can say, hey, do I want to do that with my curtains? And maybe I do, maybe I don't. But... I can continue that. I can make that part of my circle. Or my children can. Or eventually my grandchildren, our grandchildren can. We have right in this room, we have the, some, some, some little vegetables and flowers in, in little pots getting ready to go outside getting ready to go into the garden. So that's one of the things, one of the gifts that the Bible gives us as sacred text. And this is a gift that actually, I think, will can only increase as the years go by because I can start to see more connections. Oh, this story reminds me of that one. Oh, this line from this psalm reminds me of that proverb. Oh, these words of Job here kind of go with this there. We can take this and enter into those circles. And then the other thing that's, of course, happening, whether it's the liturgical year or the reading of the Bible or any of this, is that we're changing. I will not read this text the same as I would have read it if I was 19 years old. If I'm around and I'm 89, I'll read it differently. You identify with different characters. You see things slightly differently. You recognize more connections or, or you forget some and you see fewer connections. But it's all part of the circle. And I think so many people are taking Christianity and other religious traditions as well and just trying to make them into straight lines.
if you embrace the notion of a creator, or even if you muse upon it, <laughs> I invite you to go out, to go out and look at creation and tell me how many straight lines you find. But go out and look for the swirl, the circle. You can even go at night and watch the stars and watch the swirl of the heavens, the swirl of the night sky. We're a part of that swirl. We're a piece of the circle. And if we begin to read the Judeo-Christian Bible deeply, we'll begin to see that it is inviting us again and again and again into the swirl, into the helix, into the circle of a very, very deep eco-spirituality, into the reality of this circling eco-theology, into the embrace of the seasons of this sacred world and the seasons of our lives. And an appreciation of the little circles that touch us every day. Even if it's simply a bird song that brings back the memory of a bird song from 50 years before. As you spend time with the Bible, note words, themes, relations, symbols, emotions that surface again and again. Stories and words and ideas circle and twirl, loop and intermingle in webs of meaning and confusion that create an ever-changing kaleidoscope of color and contour. Some of this is fairly obvious and often pointed out in biblical footnotes as when Jesus quotes one of the old Hebrew prophets or draws from a specific psalm, but much of it is hidden, waiting for your discovery. Pick two very different books of the Bible and read them simultaneously, reading a chapter of each one each day. Practice ecotheology. See if new spirals of meaning surface.
I'm Michael Armalley. And you've been listening to Fresh Green Blessings, where we've been reading the Judeo-Christian Bible through a Buddhist lens with Mother of Eyes.